0: Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. These co- you know, we took our little granddaughter, well, she's a big granddaughter, we took her to, to Orlando the other day. And if you go to Orlando, the speed limit goes up and down. You're not suppo- sure if you're just supposed to be doing 60 or 65 or 70 or 75, and it goes up and down. And so it reminded me of this very elderly lady who was driving on the freeway. And the cop pulled her over, and the cop said to her, ma'am, uh, why are you driving 35? Do you know you're on a freeway? She said, Yes. She says, I'm sticking to the speed limit. The sign there says 35. He says, no, ma'am, that's Route 35. But then as he was walking away, he noticed the passengers in the car looked totally rattled. And he said, are you guys okay? They said, no, we, we, we're just a bit rattled because we just got off Route 160. So. <laughs> so, I want to talk to you about the process of life this morning. I want to talk to you about the process of life. And I'm going to share a little of a testimony that took place. And Carol and I, uh, we wrestled what word we should preach to you this morning, but we, we felt that this is God's correct word to share on the process of life because I had another word, intention. And the reason I do that partly, and we felt it was right, the right word for now for the church, is because what I'm going to share with you now happened exactly years ago this weekend, and so this is kind of the anniversary of what I'm going to share with you this morning. But life is a journey, and all journeys have ups and downs and all many situations, and as two famous songwriters once, once wrote, it's a long and winding road. And all of us in the journey of life have uphills and downhills and, and victories and challenges and storms. And yet there are times in our life we felt we could conquer the world. And there were other times where we felt there was just no way out. But the wonderful thing that Jesus said was this. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart for I've overcome it. And that's a wonderful thing. That's from John chapter 16. But I want to say to you, in the challenges and the fire of life, don't lose your flavor. Don't lose your flavor. Mark chapter 9 and verse 49 says this. Everyone will pass through the fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is excellent for seasoning. But if the salt becomes tasteless, how will its flavor be restored? Your lives, like salt, are to season and preserve, so don't lose your flavor. God has placed you on this earth for a specific purpose, and that is to be a blessing as well. And if we lose our flavor in the heat of the struggle of life, we won't be able to fulfill the purpose that God has planned for us. I said, I wanna share a story with you. And this story happened exactly two years ago as I was moving through the Atlanta airport. We were about to catch a flight back to South Africa and I had to go there for some medical treatment. And just before we were boarding the flight in the lounge, I said to Carol, I'm really not feeling well, but I'm gonna go to the restroom and they were calling our flight. And and bear in mind the background to this, this was during the time everyone wore masks and there was lockdowns and you were not allowed in hospitals and and all sorts of things. And I went into the restroom, and as I was in the restroom, I had an event whereby I started bringing up and, uh, and it was really just a mess. And that resulted In us, obviously not boarding the flight I collapsed in the bathroom and was taken off to hospital I was diagnosed with cancer and I had a great chunk of my stomach removed and in the process that went on from there I I lost 60 pounds in weight now that was one of my lessons in the process of life but what I want to share this morning is what I have learned in the process. Now, I know each of us have a story and your story will be different to mine. But we all walk through the process of life. We all walk through the storms and the fire of life. And I'm trusting that out of this, God will show you where you are on the journey and how you are doing in the process and where you will be in the victory of the process. And the first thing I learned is that we are surrounded by angels. As I was in this restroom and I was slumped over the basin and I I don't mean to be crude but there was blood everywhere. I was covered in blood. It was on the mirrors. It was on the wall. It was in the basin. And As I was slumped over the basin, I heard a voice behind me. And he said, are you okay, sir? He said, sir, I'm a doctor. I can help you. And I said, well, apart from the obvious, I'm okay. Then he asked me a question because the basin was full. And he said to me, sir, have you been drinking a lot of wine? Now, my friends who know me think that that's very funny. Because ever since the Lord turned the water into wine, I've been trying to turn it back to water. <laughs> and I said to him, at which point I, I started passing out, and he, he lay me on a bench in the rooms, and he shut the rooms off, and he started checking my vital signs, and he called 911. At which point Carol arrived, and they closed off, and he said, are you his wife? He said, yes. He said, your husband's really in trouble, ma'am. You need to take pictures because you may need the pictures later on. And he stayed with me until 911 came. And he organized them and he negotiated with them and he gave them instructions. And he called Carol every day for the next 12 days. Even though he was going on to his day, he probably missed his flight but we're surrounded by angels. And when I eventually got to the, um, to, the room, uh, to the hospital, as we were in the reception area, the same thing that had happened to me in the airport reoccurred in the foyer of the hospital. And then they came to Carol and they said, ma'am, because we're in lockdown, you cannot stay here. So here's Carol in downtown Atlanta, no luggage, nothing else but what she has in her hand. And they're watching her wheel her husband off and she can't go. But she called Marilyn Fitzgerald from the ambulance and Marilyn Fitzgerald said, don't worry, and they booked Carol into a hotel in Atlanta. And Carol said to the lady who was talking to her from reception, she said, how do I get to the hotel? She said, take an Uber. Carol said, I don't have anything on me and I can't get an Uber. The lady leaves this packed reception area, comes out, says to Carol, I will order you an Uber and I will pay ma'am." And she went and she stood with Carol outside and waited for the Uber to come. And she put Carol in the car because we're surrounded by angels. And when Tony and Marilyn Fitzgerald heard about what had happened, they had just come back from a very long road trip. They turned around and they drove all the way from Richmond down to, uh, down, down to Atlanta. And a church who we don't even know, who Tony didn't even know, paid all of Carol's hotel bills, paid all Tony and Marilyn's hotel bills, paid for them until I was out of the hospital and, and eventually left there And we don't even know them because we're surrounded by angels. And then I was in the hospital and I was on my own. And I felt vulnerable and then got the news that I had cancer and that they had to operate on my stomach. And you can feel quite alone. And it can feel that what's happening is not real. If you look, the Apostle Paul had the same things. Peter had the same things. And we read here in Acts chapter 12. It says, on the very night when Herod was about to bring Peter forward, that was because he locked him up because the whole town was rioting. He was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and the guards in front of the door were watching over the prison and behold the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and the light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and he he woke him up saying get up quickly and his chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him gird yourself put on your sandals and he did so and he said to him wrap your cloak around you and follow me and he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed through the first and the second gate, they came to the iron gate, which leads into the city, which opened by itself. Like Peter, I felt I was what I was going through was surreal. I mean, you about to board a plane. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in an ambulance going under the planes in Atlanta airport. If you've ever been there, it's kind of busy. You know, it's one of the busiest airports. in the, And then you're going down the freeway with the sirens going and the lights going. If you've ever s- seen ER and all of that, this was that. And you feel, this is surreal. This is not happening to me. And then the doctors tell you that you have cancer. You feel like you're in a movie. And it's not really happening. I've got a friend who's a famous preacher in in Texas. And he said this. He said, when we cannot see beyond our next step or when times of uncertainty come in life, and they will, we have to trust God and act on the truth of his word and trust the Spirit's guidance. All of us are gonna face challenges at some stage. And there comes a time where we can only trust in what God has to say. So no matter how alone you might feel, or how you might feel stranded, God has his angels watching over you. The second lesson that I learnt in the process is God has to get us into position. Psalm 139 says that God knows our lying down and our rising up. Before one word is on our tongue, he knows it all together. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows about the struggles that you face. He knows about the challenges that you're walking through. He knows all things. When I got back to South Africa and I started working with the oncologists and surgeons back there, they, they, said, to, they, they said to me, Dave, we, we want to talk to you. We've looked at everything. Now, when I got to the hospital in Atlanta... They assigned the first doctor to me who was in charge of me, and his name was Dr. Muhammad. And I said, no, I don't want Dr. Muhammad. I want Dr. Jesus. (coughs) Then the next thing was the nurses were from Nigeria. The other doctor was from Ethiopia. And then I said, okay, so who's the surgeon who's going to operate on my stomach? And they said, oh, he's Dr. Hobson. I said, no, I like Dr. Hobson. He sounds sounds good. And then Dr. Hobson was with me one day, and I said to him, you know where we come from, we play cricket, a sport called cricket. He said, yes, I know cricket. He said, I was a fast bowler in the West Indies. And so I think, Lord, now I've got Dr. Muhammad. I've got these nurses. I've got Ethiopians. And now I've got a fast bowler from the West Indies operating on my stomach. But these doctors in South Africa said to me, five different doctors. They said, Dave, we want you to know you had the best surgeons in the world. God had to get me into position in Atlanta. Before I left here, I had stomach problems. I went down to the local hospital. They put me through a CAT scan, and they said, Sir, we can't find anything wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You can go. I saw other doctors here. They said there's nothing. On the Sunday, two days later, I went back. I said to the hospital, I've still got pain. They said, there's nothing wrong with you. These doctors said the growth in my stomach was so large that they said you would almost have to be blind to miss it. A number of doctors said that, and doctors don't talk like that. There was one X-ray where the growth in my stomach was so large that it was pressing against the wall of my stomach that I'd taken a pill they'd given me on the X-ray. You could see the pill jammed between the, the growth and the wall of my stomach. Couldn't get through. And these doctors in South Africa, these top oncologists said, if we have a problem... With our stomach, we're on the first plane out of here to those surgeons of yours in Atlanta because God had to get me into position. If I'd have got on that plane, I would have died. Many people have told me that because I wouldn't have got off, they wouldn't have known what to do. It's like Moses in the Word when the battle was about to prevail. They had to take Moses to the top of the hill, and Aaron and her put a stone under his blessed assurance, and only when he raised his arms, the battle prevailed so that God's people could be delivered. David was a little shepherd boy out in the fields, and he's brought into the battle line, and his brothers and everybody else chirps this little boy who's just arrived here. But I want to say something to you. you I... Um, Joe said that I walked through the Palestinian and Israeli areas. I carried my cross and bowl through Jerusalem. I saw a big hotel up there, and it said King David Hotel. Thousands of years later, that little shepherd boy's name is on that hotel. It stands there to this day. So that God could bring one that would usher in the messianic bloodline of Jesus to set you and I and all of us free here today. Because God had to get David into position. It's just amazing. Joseph, a little boy of 13 years old, gets slung into a pit. He gets thrown in prison on trumped up charges. He might have thought, I'm stuck in this place, there's no way out. But God wanted to bring him to a place where he was his man of resource because God is taking each of us and getting us into position, no matter where you are today, no matter how stuck you are in that business relationship, that marriage relationship. Whatever it is, that illness, whichever it is, God wants to get you into position and you may not understand where you are now or why you're going through what you're going through, but God could just be moving you into position. I don't know why God took me and began to break my heart and made me pick up a cross and bowl and start to carry the cross and bowl that I didn't know would take me to more than 30 nations of the world that would take me before Hollywood film stars, prostitutes, lepers, leaders of nations, wash the feet of tens of thousands of people. And yet when God filled me with his spirit and took me out of a denominational church that my father, who was a denominational minister, said, I don't have a clue of what you're doing, but I thank God that you love him. God was just moving me into position so that he could fulfill the purpose in my life. Now, I don't know why I'm telling you this because this is not even part of my message. (laughs) Then I want to say the third thing I learned is there comes a time. Ecclesiastes talks about, he says says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. No matter what we've been through, no matter what circumstance we're in, Jesus again is the plumb line Listen to this, John 5, 7. A sick man answered him, this is at the Sheep Gate pool. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, as you know, the healing powers came. But while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and began to walk. There comes a time for all of us when we've got to get up from that thing that has been limiting us, where that thing which has been defining and impairing us now becomes the symbol of God's victory. You're not a victim. Those things that your mother, uh, those things that adults said to you when you were small, that the teacher said to you, that the kids bullied you in the playground, you're not that. You're not that abusive thing that someone spoke over you. But there comes a time when we've got to get up and we've got to move on. Notice that he began to walk and he moved on. Some of us live in hurts of the past and things that were inflicted on us. Relationships, bad marriages, partnerships. There comes a moment when we have to leave the limitations and the hurts and the insecurities behind and walk on. Have you ever noticed how much bigger the windscreen of your car is than the rearview mirror? It's where we're going that God is interested in, and that little past that is behind is not what defines you, but where you're going. You keep looking back, you'll have an accident. You keep looking forward, you're driving into the promises and the blessings that that you can see what's happening. And things happen for God's glory. Sometimes God allows his glory to be worked in and reflected through us. The the Pharisees questioned Jesus at the Pool of Siloam. Siloam in Hebrew, in its interpretation, means sent. So God takes you from the place that you've been trapped in time and time again, and he sends you out from that very place in that moment. Other times in life, they ask, who sinned? Sometimes no one sinned. Other times things just happen, cause and effect. Other times God shows his work and his glory through us, but God will never inflict anything on you. God is a God of love, and he will never test us beyond that which we're able to endure. And sometimes we do dumb and stupid things, and it's our own fault, and we can't blame God or anybody else. But there was this blind man, And they came to Jesus and they said, Who sinned? And he said, Neither this man sinned nor his parents. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm standing here today to tell you that the works of God are displayed in me. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful but there comes a time you've got to move on. We have churches we look after in England. They called, they said, we're going to have our cluster time. You need to be here, Dave. I said to Carol, I don't think I have the energy to get in. I can't even get on the plane. I was so depleted. I could sit in that rocking chair, All the time, but there came a time that I had to get up. They said, come, Dave, we will organize everything for you. If you're weary, we'll take you to your room. If not, we'll bring you back. And they did, and they lifted my hands, and we had a glorious time, and the presence of God fell, and it was a wonderful moment in time. But there came a time that I had to get up, and we all have to. And then the fourth thing I learned was it's not the now circumstance that matters. Can you imagine Peter after denying Jesus three times? He probably thought, Lord, I've messed up now. They will never, ever, there's no way back. I caused Jesus to go to his death. I contributed toward it. I have messed up. And the first time he stands up and preaches, 3,000 people get saved because it's not the now that defines you. He could have been finished. He could have just gone back. He could have just gone fishing again. But he chose to stand up and become God's vessel. And God is speaking to certain ones of you today, and he's saying, come on, move on. You can do this. Look at John, exiled to Patmos. He could think, he has this jagged, rocky place. And it says, all Greeks and Jews heard The word of God on Patmos. And he wrote the book of Revelation. What an incredible blessing. And there's Paul thinking, I'm coming to speak to the leadership in Rome to tell them about what uh, the word of Jesus. He gets ushered in as a prisoner and then gets slung into an off-center place called Tyrannus. And he's locked up there and he could have thought, well, What am I doing? I'm stuck in jail. I'll never get out. And he writes more than half of the New Testament, most of which was written in prison. And the people start coming to him, and the whole of Asia heard the gospel in the two years that he was incarcerated. We might feel stuck. We might feel incarcerated. Maybe you feel stuck in that relationship or that marriage or that business deal or I'm not as educated and I'm not as good looking and my weight is this and my hair is that. The truth of the matter is it doesn't matter because God's not interested. God knows who you are because before you were in the womb, God knew you and before you were born, he consecrated you. He has appointed you. Not the person next to you, you. And yet Paul rises up and he begins to minister to us all and we still read it today. 2 Corinthians 4.8, he says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So as we die to ourselves daily, we become a blessing to the whole. The word says that the righteous man may fall, but he will rise seven times. And maybe God is saying, come on, Mr. and Mrs. Righteous, rise up today. This is a new moment. And there are times when there seems no way out. And sometimes you just don't know. We worked in Trenchtown, Jamaica. It's one of the most notorious ghettos in the world. And in the center of Jamaica, there's a square of land, a vacant lot. And we set up on that. And when you would walk to the one front, the dons would bring their gang on that front. And then you'd go to the other front and the other Don would bring his gang. And you have to negotiate with them to get in there. But one day we were working with a man who was with us. And all the gangsters, wherever we would go, they'd say, we know him. He, he was one of us. His name was David Chang. And the story about David was this. He was such a notorious murderer and gangster that they locked him up in prison, and they gave him no chance of appeal or parole. And in Jamaica, prison for life wasn't 15 years, it was life. But in prison, David Chang came to know Jesus. And he was so on fire for Jesus that he caused a revival in the whole prison. And the whole prison got into revival. And he changed the atmosphere of the prison. And one day they came and they opened the door and they said, you're free to go. We got to know David. I had the privilege of preaching in his church. And I want to say to you today, no matter how locked in you are, you're not too locked in for God. The word says, is my hand too short? God's hand is never too short. And so no matter what it looks like, the word tells us to be ready in season and out of season. And then I'm coming in to land on this. Build an altar for God. Build an altar, places and monuments to God's glory. Whenever the children of Israel had gone through a traumatic moment, a traumatic battle. The first thing they came out when they entered the promised land, the first thing they did was they built a monument to God's glory. And I want to encourage you in that. Every time there's a significant thing. When I went through the chemo treatment in the cancer care, I noticed there, there was a little bell on the wall. And when you had gone through your treatment and you'd finished the last round of treatment, you had the privilege of ringing this little bell. So I told Carol about it, and my children heard about it. And even though it was locked down and, and you weren't allowed in, my children said, We are coming. The day you finish, Dad. And we're going to stand with you as you ring the bell. And Carol got into it and she said, we're going to bless these wonderful sisters who were like angels. And we are going to give them big hampers. And she made them like big Christmas presents. And they were smartly wrapped up. And we walked in there and we took these monuments to God's blessing. And we gave them to each of them. And if you just bring up the picture... Here's my precious family. And there's the little bell on the wall. And we started to minister. You're not supposed to say too much because there's Muslims there and there's atheists and there's uh, secular people and Christians. And I said to them today, I stand here as a testimony to God's glory. And I said, I want you to know no matter how, and these people are all facing death situations, I said, God says, your miracle is on its way. And as we began to share, all the nursing sisters got out from their stations and they came and stood down in the front and we took that little bell and we nearly rang it off its hinges. (laughs) And we gave glory and everybody applauded because God is faithful. And we need to build monuments to God. In your life, even if you haven't, I hadn't had my last CT scan I didn't know that I was clear. I didn't know what was happening, but I built an altar of faith. And some of you today need to build altars of faith so that when you go, that thing that you haven't yet seen, start to build the altar. Start, start to call those things or not as though they were. I went to Sri Lanka in the tsunami some years back. And it was devastating. But while I was there, I contracted a tropical disease that was a sleeping sickness. And it took me out for months and months and months. I would sleep for 18 hours a day. I was desperate. But it started when I just met a man who I've now walked with all these years. His name is Sana. He's our pastor in Colombo. He'll be praying with you in September. But I remember walking down the street of Colombo and the whole street started swirling. And I thought, this man's going to think I'm strange or odd, you know, and I, I didn't know what to do. But when I'd recovered and I went back there, I got Sana and his family and I said, come with me. And we went back to that spot. You can bring that picture up now. And we built an altar to God. The same spot on downtown Colombo. And we gave God glory for his deliverance. When I walked through South Africa and carried my cross and bowl, when I got to Cape Town eventually, we said we are going to do something that is glorifying to God. So we got the top worship leaders. From all over the nation. Well well known people. Their names were um, Tom Ingalls and Dave Ornellis and, and, and Malcolm Duplessis. And we worshiped God for 12 hours non stop. The people came in their thousands. And we carried the cross and bowl in as an altar to God. We started at Jesus Junction downtown and we gave everyone anything they needed. We were there every night until one o'clock in the morning. We had people praying on over 350 downtown corners of Cape Town. We Mm -hmm. built an altar to God. And maybe today, God says that you need to start building that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Start building those monuments within your life. So let me pull this together. Number one, we're surrounded by angels. Number two, God has to get you into position. Listen carefully. It's not the now circumstance that defines you. And build an altar each time God gives you the victory. God bless you. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today. And we thank you for your dealings and your purposes in our lives. We cannot begin to walk in the processes and the purposes of God unless we know Jesus. Because Jesus said, unless a man is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The word goes on to say that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord You shall be saved. Many people have believed in their hearts, but they've never been saved. Some people have come to church all their lives, but they've never done that. My father was a minister, but I didn't know Jesus. The day came that I had to be saved. And so maybe this is your day. Maybe you want to say, yes, Dave, count me in. This is my day. I want to say this to you. Don't go home without Jesus today. I would love the privilege of shaking your hand and praying with you. And so if you've come today and you don't know Jesus or you've never given your heart to him, why don't you just show me your hand quickly and just let me pray for you. I'd love to pray for you to receive Jesus. What a wonderful privilege that would be. So wherever you are sitting, just pop pop your hand up quickly if if you haven't given your heart to Jesus before. Don't go home without Jesus today. God bless you wonderful wonderful is there anyone else you know you the Lord is speaking to you today the Bible says that today is the day of salvation not tomorrow today the word says if you hear his voice today do not harden your heart so we thank you Lord for these things Just thank you for this fine young man. Tell me your name. Carter. Carter. Lord, we just thank you for Carter today that he's raised his hand and chooses to give his life to you. We thank you, Lord, that the whole of heaven applauds with him. So just say after me, Carter, say, dear Jesus, just repeat that. I thank you that you love me and that you died for me. And I receive you into my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Let me shake hands. Let's give the Lord a hand. The word says that when the word goes out, we need to respond someone so I want to invite you just to respond. Just focus on Jesus. Some of you realized this morning that there are things that you need to break and move on from. And if you realize today, Lord, I'm going to leave these things behind. I'm moving on. Just raise your hand and I'll pray with you. Just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lots of hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Just sense the spirit of God touching people here. Some of you realize it's time to get up and move away from those things. So just, just where you are, you can put your hands down now. Father God, we lift these people before you. We thank you, Lord, that you're touching people and stirring them and that there are those that are convicted that need to move on today. We thank you, Lord, that there's a sense that we're surrounded by angels. I sense there's others here that need to know. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter where you've been, how badly you've messed up. There's no condemnation. It's time to move on. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Joe.